We need the Lord. He's the answer. You know, um, the wonderful thing about it is is that obviously we have the answer. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, that we have the answer. And the world needs the answer. They're looking in all the places around, and, and obviously they're coming up short, and they're coming up dry. But when we have the Lord, we have the answer, because He is the answer. The blessing that we can praise Him you know, the Bible talks about giving thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you go, how can I do that in circumstances? And not necessarily that you thank him for the circumstances, although whatever comes into a believer's life, either God has to ordain it or it has to be sifted through his hand. But we can give thanks because he's Lord over all and because he's with us. And many times he tells you to do certain things and you feel like you should go in this direction. And then he doesn't give further instructions. But one thing he does say, I will be with you. And that's the one promise that he has, that he will be with us no matter what it is we face in life. And, you know, we're going through things, challenges, but every generation does. And we need to obviously be reminded of that, that God is faithful. And God will see us through no matter what it is we're facing. And we need to continue to pray for those there uh, in the Florida area and also South Carolina that got completely wiped out. So we need to pray and ask the Lord to, to restore them because he's the God of restoration. And we know we, he restores us spiritually, but he also restores us in that natural realm also. And God, I know it takes time, but God can supernatural supernaturally restore that area restore people's lives that have lost everything i think only 40 percent had some type of insurance and re regardless if they had insurance or not certainly thank the lord but in that sense but that they had insurance but their whole place is wiped out many of places just wiped out completely and people's whole savings and all that have been completely demolished we need to ask the lord and you think well, what good would my prayer do because I'm only one person. Oh, let me tell you. The prayer of one believer. The Bible says, obviously, the fervent prayers of a righteous person will avail much. And so when one person, just one person prays, we know that God moves mountains as a result of that. The blessing is knowing we can make a difference because when we pray. And I know that Kathy and Don are talking about prayer up here. We're talking about our church we're seeing a society that seems to be drifting away from the things of God, and we know that. But don't you know that you and I can make a difference, and we can obviously make things change, not because of us and who we are, but we can know that our God is big enough to be able to change the hearts of people who are stone cold towards the things of God. He can soften their hearts. Now, he softened my heart. Maybe you could say the same for yourself. And I know he can do it to those who have completely abandoned God. And maybe in one another, a lot of people have no hope. We have the hope. We, our hope is certainty. And we know our God rules and reigns. Amen. Amen. And we know today that people need hope. And we're asking God to impart that hope to each, each and every one of those who have lost hope, lost their direction, 
and uh, have wandered through life empty without any direction without any hope we can pray God can do this God's done it in my life and he's done it he'll do it in yours and done it in your life trust me I'm going to pray for you at the end of the message here because I believe I love to give things away that God has given me. <laughs> okay, like I said, <laughs> the message is, and I pray will you stay next week and, and listen because I believe that God will have a word for you. And I believe that if something you've been asking God for, we know God speaks through his word. He speaks through the word here, through the worship, and through the time of fellowship together. But I do believe God has a word for each one of us. And also as a church, as we share, as God's uh, men of, of God who are speaking God's word. This time of history. And we know that we love to hear good preachers, don't we? Okay? I love to hear good preachers. like to sit at the feet of good preachers and listen to the word because God always has something for me. And obviously, I'm not out of the ordinary. He has a word for you also. But I want to pray at the end of the sermon of things that God did in my life. And I want to impart, ask God to impart that into your life also. I do believe God wants to do that. All right, let's pray together. And then we will begin. Thank you, Lord, for, again, the privilege of coming together. Thank you, Lord, as we worship you. And we do need you, Lord, more than yesterday. We need you desperately. And Lord, we don't want to go back to that old life. We don't want to, Lord, kind of lean back on those things that we feel to be comfortable. Or maybe we saw as even maybe better than where we are today. We want to forsake that. We want to, as spoken, move forward, Lord. The things in the past are under the blood. And we ask you, Lord, today to give us vision in this church. That you would unite our hearts that the vision you have for this church corporately and individually would be given and every person would say hey this is my church I take ownership and I'm going to pray until I see this thing that God desires to do in our midst today and in the total body of Christ pray that father you would do that today and that your spirit would move again in power to touch us to renew us to revive us to awaken us oh God to that hope to the power of God in our lives. And, and our walk as Christian, as the children of the Most High God. We ask you, Lord, today that you would, Lord, move and, and put those things in our lives, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We ask you to speak. Let me get out of the way. Let your word, your truth go forth in power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> he had said, tell me when you're ready. He can never tell because it all blends together. We're going to talk about, we've been talking about the lies last week, about lies that we believe about ourselves. And we talked about it in the sense of, you know, when the enemy comes in, because we all have childhoods, we have all have past, certain things have been spoken to us. And I think sometimes those things that are spoken to us are actually curses. And we need to obviously go back, get with the Lord and say, have words been spoken over me that weren't true? And even if they were, they can be spoken in the wrong way. Because we know God, obviously, the Bible talks about that he sings over us, okay? Now, that's wonderful. I think it's Zechariah, that he actually sings over us. That's a blessing, I'm knowing that. And so when you're a child of God, we know that we have a certain position, that we have an identity, and that God wants that to 
become real in our lives, that we'll be able to live out the Christian life in victory. And obviously the Bible tells us that we have, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not just conquerors, but we're more than conquerors. God always puts the emphasis upon things greater than we can imagine. And we know in the book of Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we think or ask to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. He can do immeasurably more than all we think or ask. So when we ask this about God restoring the people's lives there in Fort Myers and beyond, and then when we ask him to do a miracle here in this church, we got to believe it because that's who our God is. He works in ways that we can never imagine. But there are things that we believe about ourselves, and it keeps us back. It keeps us boxed up because we believe. Maybe you were told that you'd never be any good, you'd never make it, that obviously you need to obviously just go on and you kind of kind of just survive survive instead of thriving and that's not true god says he wants us to thrive as his children he wants us to know that we are more than conquerors through him that we're obviously children of the most high god that we are the righteousness of god in christ jesus okay and god wants you to know that god wants you to know that you have a purpose no matter how old you are or how young you are, God has a purpose. As long as we're above ground, he has a purpose. I've always said that. We're breathing today. God has purpose today, and God wants you to know it. But remember, we have an adversary, and he is the accuser of the brethren. And he goes before the throne of God day and night, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, and he accuses and says, look, look what he's doing or she's doing. Look, look what he, he they call themselves a Christian. And I mean, look, they stumble and fall and they do this and that. And they, he accuses day and night. And he will do that. And many times he's very successful. Not in the overall, because we're headed to heaven. But in your walk with victory each and every day. I want you to know that today. But today I want to talk about, obviously, what you believe about God. And the lies, obviously, that we know go around about who God is. And this is what this particular scripture is about today. And we're going to look at John chapter 16. <clears throat> and we're going to look at verses 12 through 15. If you'd like to stand while we read it, you're welcome to do that. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Amen. Thank you. All right. We're talking about lies that we believe about God. Let me just share with you a little joke here. You know, many of you, and we'll, I'll date myself when I talk about this, but Art Linkletter, you remember him? Anybody here? Some of the youngsters don't, but I know I do. <laughs> Art Linkletter was watching a young boy drawing a picture. And he asked him what he was drawing, and the boy said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And Art replied, you can't do that because no one knows what he looks like. To which the boy answered, they will when I'm finished. We make God in our own image, don't we, sometimes. We think God is this way, 
And we sort of like conjure up in our minds for different reasons, sometimes because of our, our experience. If you're raised up into in a real strict, 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 legalistic type of uh, childhood, and sometimes we know that we carry that on, and we sort of look at God that way. Well, he must be that, uh, that old grouch in the sky with obviously the bat that when I mess up, he's going to hit me and smash me with the bat. See, we have that particular image that we have because we've been raised up in, in particular beliefs and different types of experience here. For example, let me say this. When a child is small, he doesn't understand about fire, that it's hot and it'll burn. And when your children will try to, to help you out in the kitchen, you probably say, uh, don't touch it, it's hot. And then, you know, the, the child goes over and touches the oven. They learn through experience. And so the experience molds what they do. And so probably in the future, they won't go back. And they won't touch that, that fire or that uh, oven or whatever it may be. So life is a teacher. But sometimes it's not a great teacher. Sometimes we get the wrong message. And sometimes when things happen to us, we can draw the wrong conclusion. And let me give you an example. A professional carpet layer stepped back to survey a newly installed carpet. And reaching into his shirt pocket for a cigarette, he realized the pack was missing. And at the same time, he noticed a lump under the carpet in the middle of the room about the size of the missing cigarette pack. There was no way to retrieve his cigarette pack from under the attached carpet and without ripping everything up and starting over. And finally, he decided to beat the object flat, thereby destroying any evidence of his mistake. And gathering his tools, the carpet layer walked out to his truck, and there on the seat of his truck was the mislaid pack of cigarettes. As he lit one up, the homeowner hurried out of the house and asked him, Hey, have you seen my son's gerbil? Sometimes things don't always, uh, are not always as they appear to be, right? Poor, poor, poor uh, gerbil, actually, the way you pronounce it. The poor gerbil, he got it under the carpet. And that's the way it is today. That's why through the word of God, the truth of God's word, we need to know God's word. The Bible talks about don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind takes place when we get into God's word. When we know God's word, we know who God is, we begin to grow. And you see, this particular scripture is actually saying... Then we don't know everything about God when we begin our walk, even as a Christian, right? But yet the Spirit begins to reveal things to us, and that is that sanctification process after you've been born again, after you've been saved. So it's impossible, it is possible to believe something is true when it's not here. And it's for this reason that we are looking at some of the lives that we do believe here. And certainly, in 1906... The great San Francisco earthquake, in a documentary about it, it seems that about one-third of the city was built over an old lake bed that had been filled with debris. And as a result, the homes that were built on it, that lake bed, had the illusion that they had a good foundation. But when unseen, 60 feet below, was a water-saturated subsoil that once shaken would multiply the effect of an earthquake by 10 times. And everything that once stood on that filled-in lake bed collapsed. And like this building blocks, like its buildings blocks on jello. 
And it's the same way in our lives. Our lives have to be built on the right foundation. And that is knowing really what God, who God is. Everything else, no matter how well constructed, how, how true or how strong, will collapse if the first things are not true. And so what we believe about God is foundational to our entire belief system. If we have wrong thinking about God, we'll have wrong thinking about everything else, certainly. And what we believe about God determines really how we live. What we believe about God will determine how we live. It's for this reason I want to talk about these particular things. And one man, a theologian, Karl Barth, said that there are two ways to attain knowledge of God. First of all, one is with ourselves. We kind of think, well, God's like this and God is like that and so forth. And so that's making a God in our own likeness. Everything in your spiritual life depends upon the sort of God you worship because the character of the worshiper will always be molded by the character of what he worships. It's a cruel, and if it's a cruel and vengeful God, then the worship will be the same. If he's a tender, loving, and unselfish God, the worshiper will also be in the same manner. We become like what we worship. We worship things, we'll become like that thing. If we worship the Lord, truly worship, give ourselves to Him and worship Him, then we become like God. He begins. Now, we're not God, we know that, but God, we were created in His image like Him in that sense. But we know we're not like God, is not like us. We know, obviously, in Isaiah 55, He says, My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Because my ways are much higher than your ways, and my thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. So he's, my, he's, he's far greater, obviously, and, and we know that. We're standing here today proclaiming that here. So the other way to obtain knowledge of God is to begin with God here. All the other religions of the world besides Judaism and Christianity start with man seeking God. They're seeking ways to find God as if God was playing a game of hide and seek. But the Bible begins with God seeking the man who has walked away and hidden himself because of shame. We know the story of Adam and Eve. They sinned, and remember, they hid from God. God was looking for them. Well, it's not that God didn't know where they were. But we know that in that sense, and understanding that, that they hid from God. And that's the way we are in our lives. Until we really do come to salvation, we hide from God. Because the shame and the guilt will keep us from coming into the presence of a holy God. And so we hide in that, or we think we do anyway. So we begin this morning with the lies that we believe about God. So let me just mention that we build our lives on the right foundation, our truth. In John 14, verse 17, the New Living Translation says this, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth, and the world at large cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him, but you do. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Then the NLT expresses it that way. In John sixteen thirteen, as we read, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not be presenting his own ideas. He will be telling you what he has heard. So again, this implies that our walk with Christ is that we begin out with, we begin with some misconceptions about God. We have misconceptions about God. Now, we know that God is love as children, if you came to the Lord in younger age or whenever. God is love. That is true. God is love, certainly here. 
But many times we begin an error in understanding fully who our God is. So what are some of the lies that we believe about God? Let me give you the first one. God helps those who help themselves. About 8 out of 10 Americans believe that statement. That God helps those who help themselves. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many of you believe that? You've heard that expression, haven't you? Actually, it came from uh, pagan philosophers, actually, where it first began. I won't go into the names. But it came. That's what we believe. God helps those who help themselves. You know, God comes for the helpless. God comes for those who uh, are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their need. Isn't that something what happens, see? It's a lie spoken of that. We've got to help God out here now a little bit. And sometimes we think even in salvation that that can be true. And that's not true at all. God helps those that actually will surrender their life and say, I am helpless. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of eternal consequence anyway in John chapter 15. And so we can do nothing. We come in our humility. We come with our surrender and saying, Lord, if you don't do it, then it won't be done. But we think sometimes even in salvation that we sort of like, hey, I, I, I really did play a part in this. You know, I, I got myself together. I got a little bit better than I was here before I started coming to church. And I'll help God out a little bit. But see, the reality is we come in total weakness. We come in complete de dependency upon God to take us out of that, that sick sin, that depravity, that pit that, that we're mired up in in our lives, the shame and the guilt and those types of things. And so we come like that in humility. It is a lie that obviously we know is not true at all. Benjamin Franklin He's a deist. He was a deist. I've known that for a long time. Who believed that God didn't play a personal and active role in human lives here. He continued the myth when he wrote, God helps those who help themselves. It's taught, been taught for many, many years, obviously, here. But the, the Bible, again, teaches something different. God chooses the helpless, the weak, the insignificant of this world to display his strength and his glory. This past weekend... When we were in conference, the pastors talked about a couple of men who, who were God used in a powerful way who were really not noticed by society. If you remember, the, the story of David is a good example. Remember, uh, Jesse brought his sons in, remember? And, and then uh, David wasn't even in the group because actually Samuel was actually uh, anointing a new king because Saul had betrayed the Lord and walked away from God. And so Samuel, God told Samuel to go to the house of David, Jesse, and to, uh, to, uh, to choose a new king. Well, he went in, and all these uh, really nice-looking guys were there. And, and, you know, one of the expressions of the pastor is one just walked like a king, looked like a king, and, and all and so forth. And Samuel looked at him and said, no, that's not the one. None of these are the one. Have you got any more sons? Because he had heard from God. And God said, go to the house of Jesse. And all he said, oh, yeah, I have a son. His name, he's out there on the hillside with those stinky sheep. His name is David. He said, bring him in here. So they brought David in. Probably still stinking the old sheep and all. He rescued the sheep, right? He, he brought the most unlikely one in. The one was humble. The one had opened his heart in that meekness and that, uh, in that uh, dependency upon the Lord when he killed the lion and the bear. 
obviously. And, and Samuel said, he's the one. And he anointed David. It's the same way with Moses. Remember, Moses told the Lord, I can't talk. I stutter. I can't do anything for you, God. You know, and, and God said, I will be with you. Uh, are you doubting what I can do in and through you? Okay. Remember that in your walk with the Lord today because some of you may be sitting here today and say, God can't use me. I don't have a theological degree and I don't have that. I don't know the Bible very well. I've heard some stories, this and that. Let me tell you, there's no limit to how God can use you if you're willing to make yourself available. Amen? God can do that. He picks those who are weak, those who are frail in that sense, and he uses them, puts them in a place and use them in a powerful way. Why? It's because in most cases, when you're like that, you're really dependent upon the Lord. And you're shaking in your boots and saying, God, I need your help. And then God uses you and puts you in a place that's a place. And nothing to bring attention to yourself, but obviously to show and shine forth the glory of God. Hallelujah. And then he gets the glory. But see, men who are real, obviously, many times suave this and suave that and, and all, they kind of want the spotlight shined on them. But God took men and women that obviously were humble, that just wanted to be used. That gives me hope. How about you? God says, hey, he'll use you. He'll use you in a powerful way. And so we know that particular uh, expression, God helps those who help themselves, just not at all biblical here not who God is Romans chapter 5 verse 6 through 8 for while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us we see here we can't save ourselves Jesus said apart from me you can we can do nothing and there the other lie is here another one is there are many ways to God there are many ways to God do you know how many people in hospice that I talk to in in my walk with the Lord over the years and being a minister and so forth? You probably heard the same thing. People would tell me, Jim, all, God, all, uh, all gods lead to God, okay? All of the religions lead to God. They just are calling him a different name. See, that's a lie. There's only one God. His name is Jehovah God, Yahweh, okay? Um, and so that's a lie. Not all gods. If you're here today and you believe all gods, well, everybody's going to heaven. You'll find that that's not true at all. And that's not what the Bible says. And that's a lie about who God is. Every religion leads to God, the Hindu, the Muslim, and, and all. No, there's only one God. His name is Jesus Christ, okay? And so we sometimes buy into that because we obviously have been maybe in our own ways because we have sympathetic feelings and love for other people. Nothing wrong with that. But in reality, there's only way to get one God and there's only one way to him. Many people, again, say this. They go, I believe in God here, obviously. I think really in a way it's one of the most meaningless statements a person can make today because obviously... You think about, I believe in God. It it can be many things here. It can be an intellectual assent and saying, yeah, I I believe in God. Yeah, most people will say that. In fact, uh, as we, I was in hospice and I'd get what's called a face sheet and under it would have religion. 
And most people, if they weren't of another religion, uh, and sometimes it would say other, they would say Christianity. And I would talk to them, and they go, yeah, I believe in God. I go, well, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, well, I'm not talking about Jesus, okay? Don't bring him up, okay? Because what happens is, in the Christian faith, you're confronted with the fact that we're sinners, and the only way out is through Jesus Christ and him alone. And so we see here many things. I believe in God. You see the devil and his demons believe in God. They know God is God, okay? But it's got to be something, an action to this. And it's got to be, obviously, one of the examples here is it can be a, a desire to believe. As people say, I believe that being free of debt is a good thing. But in fact, they're up to their ears in debt. And they believe that's a good thing, being in debts, certainly. And it can be a kind of belief that rests on your entire weight upon a truth here. Let me give you an example here. If you don't live it, then you don't believe it. It's easy to say that you have a rope to be strong as long as you are merely uh, kind of tying a box with it. When you're talking about here, but suppose you, you had a hang by that rope over a cliff, do you believe that rope will hold you? It's about faith, certainly here. The law of the pendulum. A student spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs a swinging pendulum. The law of the pendulum is, and I know Ed, maybe you engineers in here know what this is here. Uh, it can, a pendulum can never return to the point higher than the point from which it was released. Because of friction and gravity when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. And each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally it's rest. Everybody knows that, right? Each and the keeps on like that and all. Well, everybody went, yeah, we definitely, the law of the pendulum is definitely accurate and we believe in that. And so the illustration is there, he took the teacher who was teaching this there and he tied in the middle of the room under a beam a 250-pound weight and put it in the middle of the room. And he had the teacher come and sit against the, a wall here on this side. And he took that weight, that 250-pound weight, and he took it right within an inch and pulled it back right to an inch of his, his nose there. And he, re, he said, do you still believe in the law of the pendulum? Of course. Yeah, yes, I do. And, and yes, we'll sit here. And obviously, what he did was, remember, the pendulum's hung up here. And he, so he released the pendulum. It swung out. It, it swung out and it came back, and when he was coming back, that teacher hit the floor, okay? He had believed that it would not come back to the place in which it was released, but when it, when it came down to it, he said, I'm not going to chance that, you see. So there's a lot about putting your faith in the action. What you believe will obviously change your life. You have to obviously faith, and you've all heard the illustration, of the man that ran off the cliff, remember? And he fell, and he, as he was falling, he grabbed the limb that was sticking out of the mountain, and, and all was in the dark, and he, he grabbed it and held on, and he said, help, 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 is anybody out there? And he heard a voice, and that voice being God, and that voice said something, and do you believe I'm God? Well, yes, help me, get me out of this situation. And, and what he did was he said, well, then let go. And the, and the man says, is there anybody else out there? <laughs> when you put your faith, believing, obviously, we believe, don't we? 
whether or not we really will trust him. Do you know when your faith is really tested is when you may be at death's door. Okay. When you really are at that time when God maybe is getting ready to call you home or you have a situation where you feel like that you can't get out of. At that time is really where your belief is and whether or not you will trust him to take you safely over to the other side. That's what it is. A lot of people, I believe in God. I believe in God. And they're deceived certainly here. So there are many things that are spoken of. The third is, again, I uh, I believe in God again. And it is misused. Today there are fragments of Christianity, Buddhism, and any number of notions derived from personal experience and have come up with a God that bears little resemblance to the God of the Bible. That's why, again, the Word of God tells us, shows us here. Most people will say, I I believe in a supreme being. Everybody heard that before? I believe there is a supreme being. Well, of course you do. You know, obviously, the, the earth is rotating around the sun, and you see how things are put in place. You look and feel your heartbeat. You see how God put your body together. And different things. And so many will believe. Yeah I believe there's a supreme being. But they don't believe in the one true God. Certainly here. So. A lot of times. They just give God a different name. So Jesus said. I am the way. The truth and the life. And no one comes to the father. Except through me. John chapter 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Do we believe that? Do we believe there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ? There's no other way, folks. He is the only way. He gave his life to prove it. The only one that rose from the dead. All your other so-called prophets and people that that uh, are, are people that other people followed are still in the grave. Jesus proved it by being raised from the grave exactly the way that it was prophesied, the way that it was, spo- it was spoken of. So truth by definition is exclusive. When Jesus claimed to be truth, he was declaring that he was exclusive. So look at this. It's a lie. Is it a lie the opposite of truth, or truth, the opposite of a lie. Let me say it again. Is it a lie? The, is a lie the opposite of truth, or is truth the opposite of lie? It can't be both. It's one or the other. A lie can be defined so that as that, that which is the opposite of truth, but the truth cannot be defined as the opposite of a lie. Why? It's because truth is singular and exclusive, But lies can be infinite. So I'm describing an object made of wood. Then the truth that I'm declaring is that this object is made of wood here. To say it's made of something else would be a lie. So what it is made of is exclusive truth. It excludes all other materials. To say an object made of wood is made of metal or brick would be to state a falsehood. In fact, the possibilities of what it isn't are almost endless and those are the possibilities of the lies when Jesus declares that he is the only way to the father he's either telling the truth or he's telling a lie one or the other and we have two views 
One, that there's many ways to God, and the other, from Jesus' own words, that there's only one way to God. Both cannot be correct. And since both of them contradict each other, and both cannot be wrong, because then we are left without a way to reach God. This leaves us with just one choice, that only one of the above views is correct. If you believe, then, that Jesus is the great moral teacher the best moral teacher, and a lot of people do in history, if it were a, to lie, if he, he was to lie, Jesus lied, then that would negate his, his, all of his moral teaching if he's telling the truth. Then he's the only way to God. If you believe he's a moral, good moral teacher, a lot of people do, he was a good teacher, yeah, he was a good man and so forth. If in any way that he told a lie or didn't tell the truth, then it would negate all of his teaching. But if he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God, then it is what it is. Another lie is, God's not really good. Okay. I lie. He's not good all the time. Okay. We may not think we believe this, but deep in our hearts, sometimes we hide a suspicion that God may not be really good, or at least he hasn't been good to me. Some people would say that because of circumstances, okay. And so what they look at, they say God is not good all the time. Think about it. A child walks from behind a car and gets hit by the car and gets killed by that car. And a lot of people will use that example. How could a loving God do this or allow this to happen? He must not be good. That's a lie. God is good all the time. The one thing the devil will do in your life and my life as we go through particular challenges and adversities and, and trials and tribulations is that he will continue to speak and you're, God's not good. He's not good. And he tells that because that's what he used. Remember in the Garden of Eden? Well, you know, if he's hold, God's holding back on you, Eve, Adam and Eve. And once you do this, well, you, you know, you'll really have it all together once you eat of this, this fruit. Remember, that's what we're saying. He will tell you, God's not good all the time. That's a lie. Because God is good all the time. Now, whether or not we feel it or whether or not we obviously see it always in the way we think so, remember, God, is, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And no matter what happens is, God is good all the time. Hallelujah. Amen. Get that down because that's one of the things that we know that people use today. I can't in any way put my life in a, in a, a God like this. Well, look at the hurricane that just went through Florida. If God was good, then obviously that place is wiped out. How could God still be good in all of this? And sometimes, obviously, regardless of whether we feel it, he remains good. Psalm 119 says God is good and everything he does is good. You may miss a loved one, but God remains good no matter what you go through. You see, what happens is faith sits down before mysteries like these and waits patiently for an explanation in God's good time. And it may be when you go home to be with the Lord that you will understand then. Right now, you don't. You know, old-timers always told me, it's the gym. They would be going through hard times and they walked with the Lord for many, many, many years and they were faithful to stand firm in their faith and believe God is good all the time. And you know the expression that I've used many times that they use is, Jim will understand it in the by and by. That's it. Right now, we don't. 
But God is good all the time. You see what we're doing here today. Do you feel like you're being, uh, I use the word, and it's not a really proper word, theologically, obviously, overwhelmed, obviously, in this whole thing. But see, again, remember the foundation. The foundation, if the foundation is on, is solid, on the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, right? And so the foundation is very important if we really know who God is. And you know, the one thing I've talked about, the one thing I'm I want to know you, God. I want to know you. And God, when you have that prayer, I believe God will answer those prayers. And I believe he will answer it in a powerful way. Some of you may have heard of Corrie Ten Boom. She survived the concentration camp but watched her entire family perish either at the gas chambers or from disease or starvation. Yet she clung tenaciously to the belief that God is good even if the world is not. Her life stands as a testimony to who God is and His amazing grace here. Take a look at her life. The fifth lie is that God is kind of meddling, mellowing out in his old age. Right? So really what we see happening here is obviously the changes, marriage is not between a man and a woman. It can be between two men, two women. Uh, I don't know what else. I don't want to go into that. Or the abortion issue, certainly here. Our kids growing up, we talked about last week a little bit about kids growing up, they don't know whether they're male or female. We see that today, right? And, and we believe we see today, we don't see that. And I mentioned here some time ago, the reason that sin comes about is because we don't sometimes experience the immediate consequences of those sins. But see, God is not mellowing out. God is the same God He's always been. I'll say right up front, if you're a child of God, you've been saved, then you will not experience the wrath of God. But if you have not been saved, then we know the Bible is real clear that they will experience the wrath of God. Now, the word wrath doesn't even sound good to me, just that alone. But if you look at what it really is, we know it's not good. And so we know today that you're saved and you're headed to heaven. But we sometimes we believe he's kind of mellowed out and he doesn't think about sin the same way that he used to. No, he hates sin. And, and he proved he sent his only begotten son to, to die on a cross and go into a grave and be raised on the third day to prove that, to be able to take the sins of the world away from all who will believe and call upon his name. But he's the same. He's not mellowing out. He's not somehow now grandfather that really just spoils his children and so forth and lets him get away with anything. You see, there's discipline in sin in the Christian life the same way. And we know a believer, obviously, uh, that is certainly true here. Malachi 3, 6 says, and he's saying, for I, the Lord, I am the Lord and I don't change here. And I think about the reason people want to ignore that this is, is uh, people who don't want to hear the consequences of their action, actions here. They want to be free to do whatever they want to be. They want to be free to make God in their own image and do and sort of way they think that God looks and so forth. But that's not true. We can't. The only way is through the spirit of truth that we read in the word of God. That he reveals God to our hearts. And he sanctifies our life. He changes our hearts. And things that we didn't even know were there in our lives. And God's spirit begins to shine his spotlight on it. And says, you know what? It's time that this goes. Time to go. Give this up or whatever it may be. And 
God is continually doing this. You see, the penalty of sin is unchanged. It's death here. And God doesn't change. Uh, one theologian said this, He cannot change for the better, for he's already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worst. Okay? He's the same. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because God is patient with us, and we think that, obviously, he will hold us, uh, uh, he won't hold us uh, uh, accountable. But he will. He will hold all of us accountable in that way. We stand with Jesus, our advocate. He forgives us of our sins, and he takes care of them. So if we bring our sin to the cross and allow the grace of God to change us, then we know that God will have his way in our lives here. So God's silence is not indifference. The Lord is not slow to what he has promised to some think. Instead, he's patient with you because he does not want anyone to be uh, destroyed but wants all to turn away from their sins. The sixth thing is, is God is so loving that he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Anybody say that? Everybody, anybody ever heard that before? God is so loving he wouldn't send anybody to hell, you see. That's a lie. But the fact of the matter is, I'll just share is God does not send anyone to hell. People make a choice, and the choice is between Jesus Christ or actually being cast out from the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that? We're in the presence of the Lord right now. Ever thought about what hell would be like? Certainly, you know, fire and brimstone and all these types of things we read in the Bible, but the worst thing about it is, is the absence of God. That's what hell's like. That's going to be horrible. But we know, obviously. But God does not send people to hell for the sins they do, but rather of the sin of refusing the gift of his one and only begotten son who died in their place. That's what happens. They make a choice here. Every one of us gets to make a choice and accept that gift here. That gift is the gift of God's son paying the penalty of our sins. To delay it is the same as to reject it, certainly. God is not. Uh, and not pointing the finger at people aiming them to hell. They will send themselves there when they view his holiness and glory and see the sin that they have refused to confess here, certainly here. Think about it. If people here reject God here, Jesus here on this earth, why would they want to spend eternity worshiping him? They wouldn't. You look in the book of Revelation, I mean... The wrath of God is being poured out. And they cry out that the rocks will come and cover them. And they, the Bible says, and they will not repent. Remit, repentance actually means changing your mind about something. And changing your direction and your heart about that. And God will do that. But we've got to change our mind about it to begin with. Certainly here. So we think about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. Paul is saying something I believe to every believer or everyone who believes, everyone in the church house today, and let me read it to you. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Church can't save you. Doing good works can't save you. Trying to do a little bit better tomorrow can't save you. Giving away Everything can't save you. A lot of people I met in hospice, they told me, my dad would, well, he'd give you a shirt off his back. I go, well, did he ever accept Christ? Did he believe in Jesus? Was he a follower of Christ? Well, no, but he was a giving man. 
the word of God says, test yourself to make sure, to make sure that you're in the faith. That you believe in the God of the Bible. Not just believe in God of someone that you've made up today. Somehow you've conjured up, for whatever reason, through experience or maybe through sometimes false teaching that goes on in the church, certainly here. See if you're walking by grace and the truth. Because the one who has accepted Christ, whose standing is in Christ, is not on probation. You're saved. You're hit going to heaven. As to your past life, it doesn't exist before God. It died at the cross, and Christ is now our life. Grace once given is not withdrawn. For God knew all the human choices beforehand. And God's action was independent of them, not dependent upon them. So is the truth in you? Examine yourselves. Or we have we made God in our own image. Paul said that to people who were in the church house. Test yourself. See if you're in the faith. Not just doing something for him. Nothing wrong with doing that. We do and work for the Lord because we love the Jesus. We don't do it to try to gain our salvation. You check yourself because time is short. I don't know when Jesus will come back. And we never know that time. We have such, we're living in such a, a society today that things are changing. And people are going out into eternity that they never thought. You know, you watch the news just for a moment. I wouldn't, I wouldn't in any way suggest listening to it for a long time. But you see today what's happening. And see, a lot of times, even here in this nation, people say, well, we live in a Christian nation. I sure hope so. But I'm talking about where the rubber hits the road. Are they walking and following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Are they being more and more sanctified there each and every day as he works on your heart and my heart? Because as I said in Sunday school, if we're all under construction. We have not arrived. God is working in my heart and he's working in your heart if you're a follower of Christ. It doesn't ever hurt to go back and re-examine yourself and see, are you in the faith? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? The Bible talks about the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Your, your style, your, your life will change as a result because Jesus has come into your life and he's changing you. He's changing me. Are you, sa- are you really saved? Paul is saying, take a look at it. Because it's so easy out there, folks. To kind of make God in our own image. Well, he's loving. Yes, he is. Thank God. And I pray that God would reveal his love to each of our hearts. But he's also a God. He's a God of love, but he's a God of wrath. The two sides of him. Not a lot is talked about that in the church, I think. I think you're trying to motivate. A lot of motivational speakers won't talk about that. But the word of God is real clear about it. There's two sides of God. And he doesn't change. As Christians, we will not experience his wrath. Okay, get that down. I want to make sure we understand that. We know, obviously, those who don't know Christ have never put their their life in Jesus' hands will experience the wrath of God. 
I don't know what's going on, what the Spirit is doing in your life. You know better than anybody else. But if God has spoken to you today in that sense, I'd like for you to bow your heads. And tell God, Lord, I just want to know that I'm yours and you're mine. If you're unsure today that Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, that you're a follower, and you've put your life in his hands, today may be the day the Spirit of God is bringing conviction in your heart to say, go to him now. Do not walk out of this place if God's knocking at your heart's door. And say, Lord, are you my Lord and Savior? I want you to be. I want to know you. I know you're the only way to heaven. I know that you obviously sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And he is the only way to you, just as John 14 said. If that's you today, I want you to ask him. We can pray that prayer. Lord, come into my heart and save me. I believe you're the only way to heaven. Forgive me of my sins. And come in, Lord. I want to know that I know. I don't want this wishy-washiness anymore, Lord. I don't want to go through the motions anymore, Lord. I don't want to just sort of show up here and there and try to do this and that because, Lord, I'm tired, I'm worn out. I've tried, I've tried, and, and God is telling you today, give up and fall into the arms of Jesus. If that's you today, I'm always here after church, after here, to pray with anybody. I don't want anybody here not to have that certainty. The other thing I want to pray for today is if you're not, obviously, you feel like you've drifted from the Lord and you just don't have that passion, that love, that fire burning down in your belly, so to speak, that love for Jesus, that you've walked away from your first love in one way or another, something has happened. You know, maybe it's sin and you just need to confess it right now before the Lord. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, I haven't trusted you here. I've worried about this and that. And remember, worry and trust, trust and faith don't go together. But I just want to come back to you today and ask you to forgive me and to come into my life and to restore me. Come into my I want that fire down in my heart. I want to be alive in Christ. If that's you today, don't leave. I can pray with you when you after this service. We can pray. And somebody says, I just, I just want more of God. You know, we have him. Yes, we do. But that expression sometimes is misunderstood. But you do want to go further and deeper with the Lord. You don't want to stay in the shallow water. You actually want to walk out into the deep end, kind of like in a pool, right? You don't want to stay up there. You've been in the shallow end and, and all. And, and God is just saying today would be the day that you actually step out into the deep end. Begin to walk, walk out, you know. Remember uh, Ezekiel there? Stepping out into the water. If that's you today, tell the Lord right where you are. I want to go deeper with you. I don't want to stay shallow. I don't want to just say, I know I'm saved, but I just want to grow in Christ. I want to give you all of my life. I just want to, again, surrender to you, Lord, 
and being the Lord of my life. My finances, my home, my family, my car, my material things, I give you, Lord, and just take it all. I just want you. You know, we know when we have Jesus, we have all we need, don't we? We have all we need, okay? Anybody here in that situation, I will pray with you at any time at the end of the service. I don't want you to be uncertain. God doesn't want you to be uncertain about that. That you really have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he's the way to the Father. Because I don't know when that time will be for any of us. Today would be the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Okay. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I want to pray for you here too. That God would uh, deposit in your life. And impart to you. And I'm just going to pray. So just receive. Open your heart. What God put in my heart there at the conference, I want to give it away. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Father, you put something in our hearts there as leaders here at Lighthouse Fellowship this past weekend and this past week. And, Lord, we just know that you uh, imparted things to us. Um, You rekindle the flame. You awakened our heart to the goodness of the Lord. And right now, I pray, and right now, I release and impart to every person here an impartation, the power of God, the presence of the Lord, awakening in your heart, a fire, a new fire, kindle a new fire, because, Lord, that little uh, kindling wood is getting dim. Pour the gasoline of your spirit on it, Lord, today. An impartation. It's each person here that deepen to walk in a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. That's all we want, Lord. We want you. We want you. Nothing else will do, Lord. Nothing else will do. We ask you today, Holy Spirit, that you will release that in the hearts of every person in this place. Deposit it and part it, dear God. Deposit it, oh God. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this church. Thank you, Lord, for you hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord, today that we know that we, because of who you are, that, Lord, that uh, lives are being changed. That the word of God is going forth and touching people because it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it's living. And we pray today, you be glorified and you be honored. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for your attention today. Let's, let me just bless you. We've gone long. Lord, we bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift